morning, everyone. Welcome to Convocation this morning. Um, I just have one brief announcement before um, we invite our guest up here this morning, introduce our guest speaker. Um, as I'm sure all of you are aware, um, our economic situation in the past year has had a profound effect on Elkhart County and the families of our community. Many, many people in our community has, have lost their jobs and are struggling to make ends meet for their families. And this coming Tuesday, we have the opportunity to help respond to these needs in our community. Feed the Children, a relief organization based in Oklahoma City, is coming to Elkhart to the Concord Mall to distribute 15 semi-trailers of food and personal care items to local residents. And they've invited Goshen College to help with this distribution. So we have agreed to provide 150 to 200 volunteers this coming Tuesday, March 10th, um, at the Elkhart, Concord, Elkhart City Concord Mall um, from 9 a.m. to noon. So if you don't have class on Tuesday morning, I hope that you will consider joining us um, in this work on Tuesday morning. And if you do have class and have time in the afternoon, they will still be looking for volunteers in the afternoon. Um, but basically the food is distributed until it is all gone. And that all depends on the number of volunteers that come out in the morning and early afternoon. So if you're gonna come in the morning, we really need you to commit to the full block of morning time, nine till noon. Um, and then if you're only able to come for an hour in the afternoon or something like that, that's great. So we're asking you to organize something like we do for Celebrate Service Day. So if you can get together with other friends on your floor, in your apartment, in your house, anyone else who might be able to go um, and figure out whether you have cars between you. We're gonna primarily carpool to Elkhart. We'll have a couple of the minibuses going all day um, and we'll get more details of that out to you as, it, as we get it all figured out. Um, and of course, there's always the trolley that goes out. So, Organize yourselves with your floors and your housing arrangements, and if you could let your RD know, or your apartment manager, or myself know that you're planning on going with the numbers so that we can communicate that back to Feed the Children, that would be great. So thank you, and I hope to see you out on Tuesday morning. Good morning. Buenos dias. Um, Many of you know me, I'm Ross peterson Veach. I'm the Curriculum Director for the Center for Intercultural Teaching and Learning, and I'm the Associate Dean as well. Today, uh, we have invited Juana Watson to come and talk to us. She is right now the Senior Advisor to the Governor in Indiana for Latino and Immigrant Affairs. She's gonna talk to us a little bit about her story, which I think you'll find really fascinating she was born in a small village in the highlands of the state of Hidalgo in central Mexico, which is where most of the Mexican immigrants in Elkhart County come from. Um, and her story is quite a bit different from most people's stories. She came here to Indiana in 1978, didn't know very much English, had a junior high education, which she'll talk to you about, uh, and now has a doctorate in education, and, and serves in the governor's office. She's also gonna to talk to us a little bit about the state of Latinos in Indiana currently, and after she's done, we'll have some questions and answers. I'd also like to tell you and invite you 
to a reception after this in the CITL office on the north end of the Union. So there'll be some donuts and muffins and drinks. So you can ask her questions. If we run out of time here, there'll be time there to ask her questions as well. Without any further ado, please help me welcome Juana Watson to the podium. Buenos dias otra vez. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is show you a little bit of a picture. I don't know if it's a very good picture, but it's the village where I was born. It's very, very small. As you can see, it's really in the middle of nowhere. And uh, in the, high in the Sierra Madre Mountains, which is the east part of Mexico, is uh, the chain of mountains. One goes east and one goes west. And uh, most people in the village don't speak uh, Spanish, the language that we spoke. It's called Nahuatl, which is the Aztec language before the Spanish arrived. And uh, in Mexico, we are kind of ashamed to be called Indian. You know, so in the village, we, we, my parents always told me not to tell anybody that I spoke the Indian language because we were ashamed. It was embarrassing. We were considered inferior if we did that. So the village still pretty much the same to this day. Um, People drink water from the river, from a very polluted river, and a lot of people have parasites because that's what they do. They drink water from the river. My parents never learned how to read and write because the school system there was only until second grade when they were young. And when I was there, the, the system only went until sixth grade. And uh, my destiny will have been like the rest of my cousins, like everybody else. Girls got married at age 13 and had 10 kids, and that was pretty much what life is and still is there. So um, just because my grandfather knew how to read and he had this book where it's the history of Mexico and the U.S. for some reason, he used to read me those stories. And uh, he convinced my dad to take me to another town far away where they had boarding schools for, needed, for rural children, for peasants that were born out of the Mexican Revolution in 1920. There were 29 boarding schools called Escuela Normal Rural, and they were for rural children. And you went there for four years, they will train you to become a rural teacher, and then you had to go back to the village to, to teach how to read and write. And uh, my dad didn't know that I had to apply, that I had to do all the red tape. And uh, he took me to, that, to another town and left me there. And I was not accepted, and I was only 11 years old. But uh, in the village, again, life in there is still the same. The bell, we have only one church in the town, is the Catholic church. And there is a bell in the tower. And the bell tells the people what's going on in the town. Everybody needs to hear the bell. So when I was four years old or five, you know, I don't remember well, my dad and my mom said, your job is to listen for the bell and come to tell us, because my dad was a peasant. He used to pick coffee beans in the field. And my mom will spend all day cooking and helping my dad. And so I became very paranoid about the bell because the bell tolls a lot. And when it tolls, it means someone die. And normally there were children that die. And uh, so I was very, very afraid of the bell. So whenever I heard the bell tolling, I will run to the square really fast. So I was always the first one to get there. 
and I will find out who died, and I ran fast to tell my parents. So for some reason, my mom, and I guess that was the reason, my mom was always the first one to be there to help somebody that had died or somebody was, was born. And the bell also told you about happy things. You know, it rang really fast. That means somebody was born, somebody was getting married. It was a happy time. And I loved it because I will run, I will find out, and I'll go to the house immediately because they had piñatas and candies, and that was the only time that we could have all of that. So that's how much life, that's how my life was when I was young. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm 11 years old, and we did not have electricity, we did not have any roads, and I'm in the horse, you know, I'm gonna go five hours through the mountains, and then we're gonna take three buses to get to this city where I was gonna be going to school. So my dad leaves me there, and the school is not responsible for me. They said, you're not in the list, you need to go back. Call your parents, but there were not any phones in the village, so I couldn't go back. And uh, the word, you're not in the list, haunted me for many years. Even to this day, when I hear somebody say, you're not part of this, you're not in the list, I, I get uh, very sad about it. I feel, it reminds me when I was 11 years old and I was homeless. Why? Because in Mexico, there's not any social system like it is in here. You know, many kids are behind, many kids are left behind, many kids are selling newspapers, many kids don't go to school because of that. And uh, so I was one more child left behind there, so no one wanted to be responsible for me, so I became, I pretty much follow everybody, and you know, they gave them the, the, wrong, the room where they were going to stay, they said, you can eat here, this is the cafeteria, but I was not allowed. But I became pretty streetwise because of that. And I could not tell my parents, there was not a way to tell them that I didn't have a place. So, but the year after that, uh, somebody felt sorry for me and saw that I was, I had the determination, I will follow the class, they will close the door in my face and they'll say, you're not in the list, go home. All the teachers will say that to me. And uh, I put this behind, I never talked about many years. And then I'm back in Indiana, and, and my daughter is uh, an, eight, an eighth grader. And I had convinced her, my daughter Maria convinced her, forced her, more or less, to be in the band. And, and she said, uh, it's not cool to be in the band. My friends are not in the band, so I don't want to be in the band. So I said, I bought you a saxophone. My dream is that you will play the saxophone. And she said, that is your dream. That's not my dream. You know, my kids are Americans, you know, they grew up here, so they were saying, that's not my goal. And I begged her to go to, to, the, to be in the band. So she ended up saying, okay. So after a week, she came home and she said, I do not want to be in the band. It's not cool. And I didn't understand the term, it's not cool. I said, please explain me why it's not cool. What is it? And uh, so then all of a sudden, because I couldn't convince her, so I start telling her, do you know what it would be like to be outside of a classroom when you're 11 years old and you're trying to look at the board and the teacher tells you, go home, you're not in the list. You know what it would be like not to eat, not to be able to have food or shelter when you're only 11 years old? And you're in this place, you are in the land of the opportunity. You can learn anything, you can do anything that you wanna be. 
and you don't have to suffer. You have a beautiful house. You have everything. And I was crying and crying. And she said, okay, I'll stay. But then I realized that I had actually told my story to her for the first time. And that really helped me to start looking back to see what happened, you know, through, through that journey that I was going through. So, but it's a very long story that I cannot tell you in 20 minutes. But I ended up later on uh, finishing only junior high in that school. And I ended up going to Mexico City out of need. There were not any jobs. I was only 17. And, and again, you have to believe in those breaking points of your life, you know, that you look back and that's what made you what you are today. Uh, I was visiting my aunt that it was very, very poor. She lived in something called Vecindad, that it was only one little room and, and they slept on the floor and there were like 100 rooms like that and they only have like five bathrooms for, the whole, for everybody. It was very, very poor, like a ghetto, pretty much. And uh, I asked her if I could move with her. My dream was to go to the University of Mexico, but I didn't understand that I will never be able to go to the University of Mexico, number one, because I did not have very good ed education. In the village, my teachers were not teachers. They only taught me how to read and write, pretty much. But any of you that know Spanish, I had finished junior high, and I was writing the, the word yo, that means I, yo, with double L. And you know Spanish is, is with a Y, isn't it? So what I used to write it with a double L. That's how bad I was. You know, I, w I had a very bad education. So I was not going to pass any tests to go to the University of Mexico. So, but I had that dream, and I was not going to give up. I had already gone too far, you know, to stop. So I ended up, uh, one of my cousins was a police officer, and he came home and he said, uh, they're going to accept police women for the first time in the history of Mexico because the chief of police believes that women are not as corrupt as men. That's what they said there. I'm not saying it's the same here. So uh, that's why they ended up, you know, accepting women. And I said, I want to be, I want to be part of that first group. And he laughed and he said, no, you're only 17. You know, they had to be social workers. And I said, please take me to get a, an application. And that's how I ended up going, begging, crying. I said, I don't have, a, I have to go back to my village and get married if I don't get a job here. And I was lucky that the chief of the academy was going by, we didn't know who he was. He looked important, but we didn't know. And he heard me telling the story of the mountains, of the village. And he said, when I was young, I used to be a surgeon in the army, and I was stationed nearby. And the people were very nice to me. So he said, tell the secretary, give her, give her an application. That means I'm in. <laughs> so I was far, f uh, part of the first group of police women in Mexico City. And I, I didn't know how to drive, but I always say, yes, I can drive. Yes, I can do it. <laughs> And I drove without a license for a long time, and I was a policewoman. <laughs> so, um, but long story, so I arrived in Indianapolis in 1978 because I had met my first husband who was a Hoosier, and that's why I have a Hoosier accent right now, you know, um, that I ended up in Indiana, in Columbus, Indiana. I don't know if you're familiar with Columbus, Indiana. This is in, uh, one hour south of Indianapolis. But first, 
I arrived in Indianapolis, and his family didn't know me because we had only met five times and we got married, and I didn't speak English, and he didn't speak Spanish. So, you know, love is love, so you can communicate somehow. So um, that's how I ended up in Indiana, and uh, I was 22, he was 30, and he calls his sister, and his sister didn't know me, and he said, would you please take my wife to the Riviera Club with you, because she lived in Carmel, and her kids were uh, swimmers, so they used to swim there. And she said, how dark is she? And he said, well, she's dark complected, she's Mexican. She said, I cannot take her there. The Riviera Club does not accept non-white people. And I'm in the other line, I didn't speak English, but I understood it sounded bad. So I put in my, I always carry a dictionary in my notebook because I was learning English. And my first entrance to my notebook was the word non-white. And I went in the dictionary and looked, and I, I, it didn't say anything, it just says non-white. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. So later on, we went to Columbus, and in Columbus, it was worse because we went to some small town nearby to where they have the best chicken in town with other two couples. And it was summertime, and you know, when you have straight hair, you wanted to have it curly, and you have a curly, you wanted it straight. My hair was straight, so I went to do this big perm, so I have big hair, you know. And uh, I show up to this restaurant like that, and uh, a person sitting at the end of the table said, but I walk first, and he said, why did you bring an end person in this restaurant? And of course, I had never heard that word before. It didn't mean anything to me, the N-word. So, but my ex-husband had been a Green Beret in Vietnam, and he had been, you know, he was kind of violent in some ways. So I only heard that he was ready to strangle this guy, but I didn't know. I mean, I'm sitting already. And the, these two women that were with us, they were apologizing. And one of them said, don't pay attention to them. They're a bunch of rednecks. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at everybody's neck because I really didn't know what that word meant. And then the other woman said, well, no, no, they're a bunch of white trash. And then I'm looking on the floor and I said, I'm really confused here. Please explain me why everybody's upset. I don't know. But I had all those terms in my book. So those terms to me, in a way of what I am today, and I wanted to learn about the U.S., and I wanted to learn the history, I wanted to learn everything. It was based in, in a lot of that, and based why I don't feel like I'm part of this community. Why, why people look at me all the time thinking, you know, where are you from? Or what do they always ask me? What do I always have to explain? you know, who I am or why I'm here. You know, so I started learning a lot. But then I kind of retreated because of all those problems that happened to me. And I had three kids, you know, in those five years. And I did not speak English yet. And when my daughters were five and six years old, six and seven, they, they came home with homework and I couldn't help them. So one day they came home with other little girls and one of, my daughter Maria said, uh, you're lucky that your mom reads you bad stories and reads you stories because my mom doesn't know how to read, so she cannot help us. She's not helping us. So then I realized that my kids were becoming my 
parents because they knew how to navigate the system already. They spoke English, they were born here. So they were my interpreters at the hospital, at the doctors, lawyers, everywhere. And in fact, my daughter Maria became so smart that she was seven years old and they had the parent-teacher conference and they asked her to be my interpreter and she loved it because the teacher keeps saying the word rambunctious and I thought, I don't know what it means. And then my daughter said, that means I'm good. <laughs> and I said, oh good, you know, I was very happy that she was doing great. And, but the teacher had like a serious look, but then what my daughter was saying is, I'm doing great, and the teacher was actually saying she didn't do her homework, you know, and my daughter is saying, everything's okay, don't worry. So I always went home very happy, you know, until when I get the grades, and then I asked my daughter, what is this? Said, it's a mistake, it's not, you know, she, they tried to convince me that I was always, that I didn't know. So that really forced me that I, I really need to learn English. So I went to English as a second language, and my kids were actually my teachers. They will help me, they will teach me. And of course, uh, they would teach me the things that they wanted me to know because then when they became teenagers, that was, you know, that is a hard time in life. And uh, they will say, you don't know the culture, you know. I'm, I should be allowed to spend the night with all my friends. Everybody does that. You know, that's the culture in this country. And, you know, they were convincing me that that's how it was. But uh, I was learning again English, and when I started learning, I became very excited because then now I could speak more and I could go by myself. And then I met these ladies, and one of them always used the term after every other word, she will say, the whole nine yards. And I had no idea what it was, but it sounded good. So I thought, next time I'm going to remember to use that. But I didn't know how. So then, to show that I spoke some English, so I'm in this group with some ladies, and I said, I forgot how many yards. So I said, the whole five yards. And people look at me like, what is she talking about? So then, uh, my, one of my teachers, ESL teachers, was also a teacher at the high school, and they always have this North and, and East High School, the rivals, you know, that they have the football games. And I saw on the front page of the paper that uh, I saw the picture of my teacher. So I was excited that I saw him in the front page. And, and I read the story, but I couldn't understand exactly. It was explaining about this football game, and uh, they got into a fight, and he was trying to stop the fight. But and then it says, uh, Mr. Smith got hurt in the melee. And so I thought, I'm going to take this to him because I'm learning right now the parts of the body. And so I showed it to him and I said, what part of the, of the body is the melee? I said, because it says here that you got hurt in the melee. And he laughed so hard, and he laughed so hard that he couldn't even talk. So then he went and told the other teachers and they all laughed. And I'm saying, I think I believe that maybe it's a private part and he's not, <laughs> he doesn't want to tell me because he would laugh and couldn't explain me. So for, for a few years, I thought that, you know, the melee was some part that I shouldn't mention. So that's how I was, you know, learning English. And so I'm just giving you a little bit of what it is not to speak English and not to know the culture. Because many of those words are not exactly what it means sometimes. 
you know, it, it's also the cultural side that, that I needed to understand. So, and that's how I became more educated. I learned English, then I went to high school, and I sat with high school students. I was 28 years old, and I finished my high school with them. And I became very excited. I, I could actually realize that I could go to college because my parents and everybody always said in the town, girls don't need to learn how to read. They're gonna get married, you don't need to know. And actually I thought that I will never go to college and then by seeing the opportunity, I said I I'm gonna take that opportunity and I'm gonna go to college. And I ended up getting my bachelor's degree and then that's when I became brave and I said now I can continue and I couldn't stop anymore. So then I went to IU and got a master's degree. And in uh, May the 2nd of last year, I, I finished my doctor's degree. So, <laughs> thank you. And I'm not telling you this to brag, I'm telling you to tell you that, that we do truly live in a land of the opportunity. That all of you, anybody, can go anywhere that you want to go. Because a person let me come in from this rural area with no hope, you know, I ended up here where I am today. It was because of an, an education, you know, I wouldn't be here if I didn't do that. But in all those years, a lot of Latinos started arriving in Columbus, Indiana, and I knew what was gonna happen for what had happened to me. So we opened Su Casa Columbus, a Hispanic center, and that's what we were trying to help them. To, to become acquainted with the culture, and I designed a few programs to help them to understand the culture and the language and what was going on. So, and you know, I'm here to tell you that and a little bit more about the status of Latinos right now in the state of Indiana, Latinos uh, in general, if they don't have a valid social security number, cannot get driver's license. And when I told you about that I drove without license, in Mexico, you can drive without license. It's not a big deal. They stop you, you, you pay a policeman, and, and you're okay. And here, you cannot do that. I mean, I, I tried to do that one time, and I almost ended up in jail because I didn't know the culture. I was speeding, a police officer stopped me, and I got out of my car because that's what you do there. In Mexico, you get out of your car, you walk towards the police car, and I did that, and he scared me, screamed at me, and said, go back to your car, and I didn't know. So I had $20 in my hand, and I was gonna give it to him. And you know what? Uh, I'm lucky that I didn't because I probably will still be in jail today. But uh, we don't know those things because we're coming from another culture, and that's what we do. And, uh, and that's what's happening now. People cannot get driver's license due to all the changes that have been through. So now, since we don't have any more time, if, do you have any questions? You know, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Excuse me? Are you still in touch with your parents and what do they think about your life today? Yes, um, my parents never came here. My dad passed last year and that is my you know, greatest regret because I couldn't get a visa for them because they are peasants, they look poor. Even if I send money or I buy things, clothing, they will never wear it. So I took them to the American Embassy in Mexico City in 1992 and I could not get a visa for them. And I was devastated. And I thought, I'm gonna take, uh, I want them to see, I want them to know how Americans are. You know, they're very good people that had helped me. I am what I am today because 
you, Indiana, you know, the US. So I ended up uh, taking groups to the village since actually 92 was when I took the first group. And I have been taking a lot of groups there. We build homes and we, uh, we help a lot of people. We take shoes, the children and the schools go barefooted to school. Uh, they sleep in wet floors because it rains a lot in the mountain and they sleep in muddy wet floors. So we put concrete. I take a lot of groups, Ivy Tech, IU Medical, Anderson College, Hanover College. I have taken a lot of medical groups too, a lot of groups for the last 18 years. And that is the only way that I can, you know, also contribute to the village and everybody wins. You know, Americans that go there learn more about the culture. So that's how I am doing this. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, the most important issue that we always talk about is language. You know, that is an issue that affects everybody because a lot of them don't speak English. The other issue is that they're gonna go to work, they don't have driver's license. So those are the main issues that I see all over the state. And education, it's a big issue. Um, right now in Indiana, we have a 55% high school dropout rate for Latinos, which is huge. So, and it's part of it is the language. You know that even though you might speak English, but if you don't have that in-depth language, it's hard to write an essay, it's hard to, to really stay. And, and a lot of them drop out because of that. Part of that's the language, and, and part of that is also uh, lack of information. A lot of times they don't know that they can go to college. A lot of times the parents said, we want you to work and help us because that's our culture, that's how, from rural areas, that's how we are in the rural areas. Anybody else? Thank you. <laughs>